Welcome to Innovating Music. This is your host, Gigi Johnson. I'm excited with today's episode. We have Jordi Freed, who comes to us from the Sony Corporation of America, from the Video and Sound Products Department as Head of Partner Marketing and Strategy, Brandon BizDev. He started out in saxophone, ended up from Philly going into public relations and radio, uh, ended up at Blue Note, then great advertising back at Blue Note, and now it's Sony. And he'll share a bit of the journey path of how he got there, and we'll talk toward the end about things like artificial intelligence with music. We pledged at the end to do a second episode, but enjoy this first episode with Jordi Freed. I appreciate someone who has done so much in so many creative fields. And as someone myself who started in PR, I am very happy for someone who is coming from PR into leadership in a music company. And as someone who also went to USC, I'm excited for someone who's going to USC. So we have some resonant spaces here. So um, can it. you share, because things you're doing, a lot of our our uh, listeners won't know anything about, which always is fun for me. Um, can you just start out with what you're doing at Sony and what the product set is there? Yeah. Uh, so for context, obviously Sony is a very big company, right? <laughs> we have a lot of different businesses. So I sit within Sony Corporation of America, and that's the U.S. holding company. So all of our different U.S. entertainment businesses, Sony Music, Sony Pictures, uh, PlayStation, they're all under Sony Corporation of America. It's the extension of Tokyo headquarters, like the, the mothership. And at Sony Corporation of America, I am director and head of brand and business development and also head of partner marketing and strategy for our personal entertainment business. And you're probably wondering, so... So what is that? Isn't <laughs> what is everything a personal, a personal entertainment yeah, yeah, business? Yeah. What, what is that? That is specifically uh, Sony's business in the audio and sound space. So but when you look at... still... I mean, of course, that's not TV. Yeah. That's not film. That's not games. It's so... When, when you think about headphones, um, speakers, uh, pro audio, microphones, uh, studio, headphones, et cetera, anything kind of mobile sound related or professional sound related, that whole business um, I'm leading the the brand for and business development and, and how we work with partners, which, you know, for me as someone growing up, uh, always had Sony in the house through family, et cetera. It's kind of an honor uh, to, to have this role. I mean, it's one of the most iconic uh, businesses within Sony. I mean, when, when you think of how Sony started, audio was one of the first, right? Um, and it and it touches so many elements of uh, creativity in the music space. So to kind of be in a role to shape the brand as it sits today and where we want to go and really develop that business is uh, pretty incredible. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> now, uh, some people come into these spaces and you were commenting about when you were younger, but some yep. people come into these spaces as tech geeks, um, which I was not, I'm totally not, I became one as an older person. Um, and some came as musicians and some came as, uh, people who would be playing with devices or be building concerts for their friends. What is the, I'm a 15 year old Jordy doing with his life? Were you any of those? Um, 
I was a cross between a tech geek and a musician. So I, I'm totally in the right space right now. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing um, in music as a young person? So I was a, believe it or not, I was a really serious saxophonist oh. um, and really into jazz. And I was gigging a lot and I had a band and, you know, I was building websites, you know, as a 15 year old for, for myself. And, you know, so I, and, and yeah, I mean, I was just really into uh, jazz at the time. And where I, was I was like this? super into it. This was outside of Philadelphia. Okay. So I grew up outside of Philadelphia, born, born in Philly, raised right outside of Philly, neighboring suburb, literally two minutes from the, the county line of Philly County and the first suburb. Um, yeah. So, so I was a serious musician as a teenager. Yeah. And your parents, what yeah. did they do? Um, my mother had a couple different jobs. She was, she was a paralegal at one point. Uh, she worked for Morgan Stanley at one point, uh, as an associate. My father w is a structural engineer. Okay. So yeah. some people come from creative families who they go, oh, yeah, it's perfect. Go into creative work. Your family is a saxophone playing kid and tech geek building websites and thought our son is lost. No, thought, thought our son will be going to go do. So, okay. So to set this up, although my dad's a structural engineer, super creative person in his passion for music and technology, um, he was obsessed with Sony, believe it or not. Um, everything in my house was Sony growing up. Everything. I so mean, you were prepped was, from the get go. This was, this I, I, was, I was actually really prepped. It's super, super weird. So, you know, I, I love to tell this, this anecdote in interviews that I've been doing. Um, so he, he's an audiophile. Um, I mean, like he would not, if, if it wasn't pristine audio quality, he wouldn't listen. He was totally sworn against the, uh, MP3. Um, he had SACDs, SACD player. He had Macintosh tube amps. He had crazy five, one setups. Um, and it's funny because some of my colleagues on the tech side worked on the development of SACD. My dad knew of them through like message boards and their colleagues. And oh, technically wow. it's the same PL that, you know, pays me. <laughs> and, you know, he was just really, aside from just Sony in general, particularly Sony audio. I mean, he, I just grew up having gold discs around the house that, um, you know, he, he was into. And so your average he, person now hasn't heard anything better than an MP3. So it's sort of correct. an interesting lens on where we've gone to as a culture, but yeah. hundred percent. So, you know, it, it, it's just really funny how, well, maybe, maybe not funny because like, yeah, you could say, okay, how these parents, they're not in a creative field. How does, you know, how, how do I wind up doing what I was doing as a teenager? But, um, a lot of it was my dad, honestly, um, who got me into jazz, got me into, you know, music and, um, just seeing him interact with some of that technology. I mean, he would build computers, right. When I was a kid. Um, so it was always kind of around, I was just always fascinated. I remember going into radio shack as seven year old, just wanting to play with every little gadget I could find. Um, 
So I was always into technology. Yeah. So what did you think you were going to do with this combo? <laughs> so, um, you know, you would think, okay, he's going to go to music school. He's going to become a musician or whatever. That was never in the plan. Never okay. wanted to do that. Never, never, never. I just, um, I think there was more fear than anything else. Um, I entered college as a poli-sci major. Oh, that's it. <laughs> I love, I, love, I love politics. I have friends who are poli-sci yep. majors, but that definitely yep. is a, yeah. is a, is a strategically safe place. Different and yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause you know, I was into the West Wing and all that. Right. Uh -huh. So, you know, yeah. It, it the West Wing influenced so many people's lives. I, I should go into I know. I know. <laughs> I want Aaron Sorkin but, to write my write my daily conversations. But yeah. He's the best. He's yeah. he's literally the best. Um, but maybe, and I did really well for a semester. But I'm, um, you know, one semester in, I was like, I'm bored. You know, I, I, this isn't exciting. I don't want to do this. Um, and so I was like, okay, I want to start my career now. I actually want to start. I was 18. It was January, 2009. I was like, I'm ready to go. So, uh, I found a couple of internships. I did. I, I didn't have anyone make calls for me to get into the music business or anything like that. I mean, I knew enough based on connections to the jazz world where if I, I wanted to work in jazz specifically, <laughs> um, I was knowing like, where you're yeah, going, that's a power yeah, play, you know? So, um, I got, I was 18 and I got two jobs. First was I was on the radio at uh, the Jazz and Classical Station in Philadelphia, WRTI, not a student station, actual radio station. The GM of the station had seen me play and knew that I knew jazz and he actually hired me to be on the air uh, for a 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift. I was going to say... <laughs> Put the kid on graveyard. Put him on the overnight. Yeah, so, yeah. I was on graveyard. Sometimes I did 12 to 3. Sometimes I did 3 to 6, et cetera. They did like four weeks of board op training, and then boom, I, I, I was on. Uh, and then in parallel, I found a, a PR firm, like a national PR firm that, um, you know, worked with some of my favorite musicians based in the Philly area. It just happened wow. to be, um, ironically, this PR firm was in a part of Philadelphia that was literally down the street from where my parents had been married like 20 something years earlier. And my grandparents had a house. So, uh, I'm Jewish. We call that Beshert meant to be, I guess. Right. Synchronicity um, at the finest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to totally. Um, but you ask, I, right? I, so you're not waiting for permission. No, you're not waiting no, 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 to no, finish college. No. No. You're making the journey. How did you meet the PR company? I'm always back into how I, people I, make choices. So, um, Do you walk in I found the, so I, okay. I was such a nerd as an 18 year old. I would go on jazz musicians websites and look at the contact pages and see who worked with them. And I found, I kept coming across this firm and I looked at the address and, oh my God, it's in Balakinwood, Pennsylvania. I, I know exactly where that is. My grandparents live there. Um, so I, I sent cold emails to every single employee. <laughs> oh, uh, I love this. Love, love, love. Okay. And then one of them responded and is like, 
sure, you can come in. We're not like looking for an intern. So, and I didn't have a car, I didn't have a driver's license. So I took a train, like 40 minute regional rail and walked uh, three quarters of a mile in a blizzard for an interview. Yeah, PR for a job that didn't that exist. Did, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and I was 18 and they, they like, great. You know, you seem to know a lot about jazz. You know, when can you, you know, let's bring you in for the summer. And this was January 09. And then I started my summer internship February 27, 2009. <laughs> this is how great careers like can be made though, yeah, right? Yeah, so, totally. <laughs> so a lot of people think that they're supposed to be waiting till they're done with college and no. then they're waiting to apply. And then, you know, meanwhile, there's people who just walk in the door going, hi, I know you. Here's all the research I've done. Here's why I'm the right person for it. And magic happens. Yeah. Yeah, or magic totally. doesn't happen and the fifth one happens. But yeah. Yeah. I worked for free for like maybe six to eight months. And I was, here's the thing you might say, oh, well, he's privileged. You know, he had family help. First of all, I didn't have family help. Second of all, I was actually making money from the overnight radio gig. So <laughs> I was doing the overnight radio gig while doing the PR internship. And, uh, and then it turned into part-time job, then full-time job. And I did that all throughout undergrad. Um, so I was working full-time. I would do class from eight to 10. I went, again, I didn't have a car driver's license till I was 21. And then I would take the train and then I would work 10. I worked like 11 to seven, uh, every day. And I did that all through undergrad. So, so working with brands back then working with creators back then, what was, marketing like then i mean I, I i think of my pr time was a decade or more earlier where most of what we were doing was emailing people calling cold calling people following up on press kits um tracking down who was doing what putting together yeah. marketing for events what was the what was the technology and what was the what was the job it was so interesting at that time because it was such a weird, awkward transition in media and also the music industry um, because, you know, you were seeing the, the dip of, you know, regional outlets going away. You were seeing shrinking uh, and consolidation of, you know, uh, genre vertical coverage in, in music. You were seeing, you know, fewer journalists, but the journalists that they're covering a lot more. Um, and then you had the whole thing that was social, um, and blogs and message boards and, you know, direct to consumer and guerrilla grassroots online campaigns and, influencers and Facebook who ads. Called influencers. They, and, they yeah. weren't influencers. They were, you know, people who were really passionate about something that, you know, influenced other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like I, I remember in 09, like doing face targeted Facebook ads for shows and doing weird promotions with, you know, landing pages that were made on like, you know, like Max, you know, DIY Coffee website cut. builders. And, and like, <laughs> I, I remember like d doing um, press releases where you would set up um, like clips for like streaming and excerpts. Uh, of the music, you know, but this was before Spotify and it, it was a really to weird case to Sonic vids. And yeah, t totally. It was a weird, awkward time, but like, I'd say what helped get me in the door was a lot of transition. 
in media and just a lot of experimentation. No one knew anything of what they were doing uh, digitally because everything the was saxophone finding their way. Still at this stage, I, I had stopped. So I stopped because it's like, okay, I need to. I didn't want to be perceived as the person who was like, okay, I'm going to use this job to help my playing for all the musicians I'm going to get to know. I was like, my dad always like, you know, you have to like immerse yourself and put yourself in the way, like if you need to operate as a business person, you, you got to lock in. So I, I, I didn't want to play anymore. I hung that up and I dedicated myself to, um, to PR. And what's funny, so I didn't know what PR was, but I was a really <laughs> I most outgoing. People don't know what no, PR no, is. no one does. But here, here's what's interesting. So math wasn't my strongest suit growing up. Writing was, and I was the editor of my school paper and the qualities that you need or needed to be in communications or a publicist. I just by chance possessed those qualities and it, I stumbled into it, honestly, without even knowing that, yeah, like as a commas major for undergrad, that's perfect for, for me. Um, and it's funny. So the job actually, I, I wasn't a communications major in undergrad until I started as a publicist. I switched. Um, but oh, oh, like if you look at the macro of the evolution, it really started for a passion for jazz and music that led to a passion for PR and that passion for PR really like with changing media pushed me for a passion for, you know, new ways of looking at integrated marketing, digital marketing, et cetera. That then that led to another job that was a proper marketing job where I really got to control a lot of true direct to consumer at scale. So that was Blue um, Note, yes. And that was, that was Blue Note. And of course, yeah. jazz. Blue Note, totally makes sense. How did you make that happen? Um, did you walk in the door so, and say, you should hire me? No, at that point, I had relationships that I had developed and, you know, one thing led to another and got connected to the owner of Blue Note uh, through a, a friend who was working there, got a job there. And uh, at that point, I had five years of experience you know, I was semi known to an extent in whatever that small jazz circle was or is. Um, but yeah, the, the Blender job really allowed me to flex marketing, you know, in real PR at scale. I mean, it's a, an international brand and, and it really opened my eyes to, you know, something truly consumer facing. It's interesting when you're doing, I was doing artist PR, right? At a festival PR, whatever. Um, at the firm, you know, it's not like, it's not true consumer brand. Like, yeah, people know who artists are, but it's, you know, it was smaller scale. Yeah. Great jazz musicians. But when you work for a company like the blue note, you know, that's when you get into, okay, like people actually know this, this brand, a lot of people, even people outside of, you know, core music, cause it's a destination in New York city. Right. Um, so it, I really got to flex true marketing shops to be able to control, you know, not just PR and communication strategy for that company, but, you know, how you market to individuals, how you leverage own touch points to, you know, spark action 
among a constituency or acquire new customers, right? Um, or listen to customers, right? Because so yeah, yeah, anyways, totally, 100%. You're, yep. You've got a long thread to pull and, and sort of what, as the business around you is changing and yep. music and the tech around it, that, that it's not just an individual event action and then knowing the press for that geography, it's really a longer thread. Yeah, for sure. And I, I was, what was really interesting is what started really opening my eyes to the broader world that is marketing brand business development was I was involved in a lot of the company expansion. So when, for example, the company opened venues in Hawaii and China, I got to lead the integrated marketing and comms rollout for that. Um, obviously different partners in those two markets, a multinational launch, you know, customers in, in, in different markets. And, you know, that really started getting me interested in a world outside of, of music, honestly, um, into general kind of brand development from a global perspective. And, and I'm sure you saw that I left Blue Note. I was going to say, for a yeah. guy who was jazz, 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 music, I got music, tired music, of it. music, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got really tired of it. Um, and there was one specific um, experience that really opened my eyes, too. So that that rollout for Hawaii and, Napa, uh, Hawaii and China Napa was, was too, one. Though, but yeah. Well, I, I did the Blue Note Napa in Brazil, too. Um, so yeah. I did all of those. Um I got connected to folks at the New York Stock Exchange um, because I was trying to get a, a closing bill for Blue Note. And ultimately, I did when I came back, and we'll get to that. But um, I remember I toured the floor in May 2015. I'd been a couple times, but that was the first time. And I was just in awe uh, touring the floor of the Stock Exchange. And um, that's what really got me interested in a world outside of that small world that I was operating in. Uh, so I went to Gray and I wasn't there for long. Uh, I was working on some incredible projects. So I did the PR for the National Park Service Centennial Campaign, oh, cool. um, which was awesome. Uh, I did some work with Canon and Ron Howard, um, you know, on some branded entertainment integrated marketing campaigns. And um, honestly, without that experience, I wouldn't be where I am today. Because that just opened my eyes to everything that I needed to connect the dots to be able to come back to Blue Note after, which I did, and build what I built to actually get the job that I have now and really have the experience that I have now. And I love so. how you frame that because for a lot of people, they think that it's a linear, a linear pathway and not kind of a repercussing that I keep, I keep drawing with my hands for the people who are not yeah. seeing this or listening to it, not watching it on YouTube, uh, that, uh, there, there tends to be almost a repercuss or a looping back yeah. um, to, to be able to sort of build skills. So you came to Sony with a yeah. promise for them and for you to, to do what, what is, what is kind of your joy of this right now? So I, I had a, a, a longstanding relationship with Sony before I started. So when I came back to Blue Note, I built a business within Blue Note that aligned Blue Note with different brands for business ventures and brand marketing activities. And the biggest one that I did was a partnership between Blue Note and Sony Corporation headquarters. 
to open a venue called Sony Hall in Times Square. So I had this idea. We, Blue Note, we were thinking about opening a venue at the time, uh, a new venue in New York. And I said, well, what if we make it? Because I had my PR hat on, like, okay. But it was also from a marketing biz dev perspective. If you open a venue, what's distinctive about it? What's the story? What's the connective tissue? How how are you going to really distinguish yourself? What's going to be different about it compared to saying, okay, it's another venue in New York. And I just kept coming back to technology, right? Where, where is the live experience going? Who could we align with to tell a unique story uh, and offer something unique to customers? And I got connected to Sony Corp in 2017 and within less than a year, we did a deal and opened Sony Hall. Um, and so I was working across the company for almost two years uh, on the Blue Note side, creating opportunities to activate and integrate within, you know, the Blue Note ecosystem and Sony Hall for, for Sony. And they were looking for, so this division that I work for, the sound team was looking for someone as they were expanding their activities and they knew me and um, you know, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, it just, it happened. <laughs> They're like, yeah, let's, do you want to work for us? <laughs> so let and me this job this didn't exist. This job didn't exist. It was, it was, there was no, you know, it's funny. I probably shouldn't have been saying this technically. I don't think I applied. Well, have uh, you applied for anything that you've done? Uh, gray, I applied for. Okay. Yeah. Uh, blue. Uh, that's actually interesting. DL Media, uh, WRTI I didn't apply for. DL Media, I didn't apply for. Blue Note, I didn't apply for. Gray, I applied for. Um, and the, yeah, I've only applied for one job, and that was Gray. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so let's shift gears into innovation. So, yeah, sure. So a lot of people tend to think the innovators are the creatives. The innovators might be the uh, engineers creating the new product. You've been yeah. innovating around brand connections, activations, but now you're in an innovating space also. So, yeah. what is your current lens on innovation in personal audio? And also innovation overall as it's happening right now. Um, it's really the the knocking down of boundaries and limitations. Uh, that that's really what it comes back to. And I can cite a couple different examples selfishly for some of the things that we're working on. Uh, whether you're innovating and pushing the boundaries of audio experience to do more in the canvas that you have as a creator, so. When you look at spatial audio, 360 reality audio, for example, or Atmos or whatever, to be able to expand those limitations that existed from normal stereo to do more with your creative canvas. That, I'm going to pause one you example. there because this yeah. is an area, first of all, of my heartbeat, but also some people may know of Atmos. They yeah. may know of, of, of Sony 360 RA, but they yeah. possibly don't. I and when the flag it. goes up of spatial audio, they don't yeah. yet get it. So can you sure. dig a little deeper? Sure, sure. So we've been listening to music and stereo for the past 40 years. It's left channel, right channel. Everything you've listened to for decades has been stereo. You may not even know it, but it, it's pretty much been stereo unless you've been in someone's really nice den with a bunch of speakers. That's probably not stereo. That's 5.1. Um 
you hear certain things together on the left side, certain things together on the right side, and there's no depth. There's no element where you feel like you're surrounded by the music. Spatial, what that does is gives you, in essence, a true sense of space. When you hear things a little bit more precisely, you might hear certain instruments in certain locations that you didn't hear before. So you might hear bass in one section of your headphones and sing, uh, vocals in another section of your headphones, and you feel enveloped in the music. That's essentially what spatial audio is. So I'm still listening with my two ears, of course, and I'm probably listening yep. with devices on my two ears, but there is the perception of items within it moving in front of me, behind me, by using um, placement? Yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's, so it's a mixing process at the end of the day. So okay. when, when music is created, for those don't know, for those of you who might not be aware, um, you know, you record music. You then need to mix it in a particular way to get the levels right and sound right. And then you master it to refine, you know, the, the work. And then that's a finished product. So, you know, after music's recorded, you have all these different sounds that have been recorded that make up what is called a mix. And then you can mix that content. Um, most mixes have been stereo, but with spatial, you can take the individual sounds into your point, Gigi place them in different locations. But it also is for those of us who are playing in VR and other things, it actually could be actually placing the audio in what then is moving objects in a VR space, an AR space, a immersive theater, and that stuff's all growing like crazy. Or actually, it's not growing like crazy. <laughs> It'd be nice if it was growing like crazy, but it's in a growth mode also. That's very similar though. I mean, what, so if you look at our software, for example, um, it's a Pro Tools plugin. So Pro Tools is for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, what many many folks in recorded music use to to record music, right, and and mix music. And there's a plugin for that for 360, for example, where if you enable this plugin, you see a sphere on the screen, and it gives you a hundred something locations to place those different sounds in the sphere. So you are virtually placing the sounds, right? Similar to what you might do for a VR metaverse play. Um, but yeah, that that's essentially the process. So, you know, to, back to your, your question, I mean, that's one example of, of, of kind of breaking down some of the limitations. Another example um, outside of spatial audio. So one thing we actually just announced literally at NAM last week is something called 360 virtual mixing environment. And what this is, is the idea that you can mix in a studio without being in the studio. So you can, for example, go into a studio that you would want to mix in or normally mix in we would measure your listening attributes. So we would take some measurements and then using software, you could literally be at home with your headphones. And when you are mixing, right, as a creator, get the same acoustic experience and profile in the headphones at home through the software that you would as if you were in the studio. Now you so, said mixing things in your gesture 
was also are you are you measuring the peanut as well as your ear and yeah. the shaping of your ear to go with yes, it as 100%. well as yes. the acoustic representation of the actual room space. One hundred percent, you hit the nail on the head. Um, so that that's exactly what we're doing. And so, for example, if you're a professional engineer who is traveling the world and uh, an artist calls and says, Hey, I need a mix tonight. We're all working in the studio. I know you can't get there. Can you do this mix? You could actually do the mix and maintain that acoustic integrity and authentic experience as though you're there. Or let's say you're an aspiring DIY creator that wants to mix in you know, Germano Hit Factory, right? Iconic uh, recording studio in New York City, but you could never get in there. There may be a way for you to actually do that. You might need to come in and get some measurements, but without, you know, spending hours and hours in the studio, um, you might be able to mix at home, you know, like the people you look up to. So again, it, it just comes back to, Really breaking down those boundaries and expanding limits, if you will, um, that kind of enable more possibilities and, and just it's kind of unlocking more creativity. And just like I, I think without some of these things there are more shackles, right? So we're trying to take more shackles off for creators to basically allow them to do more. I would also say, though. And, and getting into what is changing workflows, right? So, yeah. so you know, selling B2B, marketing B2B, awareness B2B still is a crowded space. And people are rethinking all the ways they're working all the time by who else is tapping them on the shoulder. Yeah. How are you staying with the innovators who are also having other people tap them on the shoulder? It's a really good question. It's through partnership at the end of the day. So, you know, you, you have to, you can't do this in a vacuum, right? You need to look at these alliances from a true collaboration perspective. So, you know, when we're trying to scale these technologies, right, we are working with those at the forefront of their fields to really better understand the application of those technologies to what those masters do and then work with those masters to spread the word. And you could say, oh, well, isn't that a fancy word for their influencers? No, they, they actually aren't because influencers aren't necessarily giving input on right. product development. <laughs> so do you have a physical lab that, that that's music and audio creators and, and technicians come into to work with you guys? Is there kind of a, a physical workspace or play space or tinker space or, or P, are you guys going into other people's workspaces to kind of see digital workflow and physical spaces? Uh, do you have anthropologists on staff kind of sitting through other people's creative processes? We, it's a really good question. We generally, I mean, I've seen it both ways. We have folks that come to Tokyo, right? Uh, everyone, I mean, who doesn't want to go to Tokyo? So we're happy to host people and, and we do, but we spend a lot of time in the field because at the end of the day, like this is, it's, you're not going to have Andy Warhol come to your place. You know, <laughs> you're going to go to Andy Warhol. might depend what the food and alcohol is, but that's a whole <laughs> true, other thing. True, yeah. true. Um, you're, you're going to go to the creator 
right? You're going to go to them, understand their element and understand what they need to do what they do. Um, so our team spent a lot of time going to creators and, um, and again, keep in mind, I'm just talking about one side of the business. I'm just talking about the pro side. There's a whole other side of the business we haven't even talked about. It's a consumer side. <laughs> so, because again, what's interesting about Sony is, um, especially compared to some of our competitors in, in this general category, um, and something I'm really proud of is when you look at music and music experience, we are truly end to end. You know, it's rare to find a company where we make the gear that's used in the studio by the creators and then provide technology for mixers, et cetera, and then have hardware that's also used by end consumers as well. Um, and again, that's even separate from owning a record label, et cetera. I'm just talking about the core audio business, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's very rare to see that, uh, to, to have that role in the end-to-end -end, uh, creative to consumption process. Does that make the marketing harder though? And the, and the, and the thinking about innovation, cause you've got the, the, the big Sony brand, even the big Sony audio brand where people will make it either stuck in old ways of thinking or not see the innovations cause they're buying the end consumer good that is more mass marketed or they don't see the innovative side. I mean, is how do you sort of, and you've spent a lot of time looking at brand points of view with other folks as well. How do you keep a brand fresh and innovative as well as trusted? That's an excellent question and something that we discuss quite a bit. And we are taking certain actions to address that. And it's all, I, I mean, it, it, part of it is how you approach the integrated business development side to join these things together. And some of it is the marketing communication side in terms of how you're telling the story. So when you look at partnerships, as you, you can't think about, and I'm speaking in general terms, right? You can't, you can't think of things as siloed. You have to look at what do I have, what, what chess pieces do I have and how do these all connect? And then when you're looking at partnerships, you know, what is that through line and connective tissue to the various businesses that, that demonstrate a true integrated partnership to develop the brand and consumer and, and professional and then on the marketing side, same thing, you know, what, what is the underlying message, right? That carries over end to end. What do we represent a, as a brand and what do our products represent, but really as a brand, right? What do we stand for in this space? And then how do we connect the dots and how we storytell, um, across those different touch points more, to those audiences? More yeah. fans like your dad was when you were growing up. That Sony's that, the through that, line of their house and everything so is... So that's one... So that's in, here's what's interesting. That's one segment, though. So on the consumer side, we might need more people like my dad and other customers as well. But we're also... We're creator first, too. So at the end of the day, and I, I think you'll see more of this, right, in terms of what we're doing, if you look at some of our Marcom content recently... It's so creator focused. I mean, we, we are going into market on the consumer side with artists like SZA and Khalid and Whitney Houston. And these are the faces of what we're doing. And it's not 
from a celebrity endorsement perspective at all. We have no interest in doing that. All of these activities are real partnerships with their respective teams and the artists are getting involved if they're alive. And, and if they're not alive, the estates are getting involved in how we elevate the music experiences for fans. And you'll see some very interesting things this year in terms of what we have coming down the pike that also do represent a lot of innovation, but it, it brings back to the essence of what music experience is supposed to be. Um, you know, and we're really leaning in, you know, as, as a brand that is for music um, from, from a, an audio experience perspective. Um, so it's, yeah, that we're thinking about it end to end basically. So, so you are yourself a jazz fan, an audiophile, a technical geek separate from the adventures and innovations at Sony. What might be a couple other things you're excited about that you're either seeing coming up the pike or that you see need to come up the pike. That's a man. You have great questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm inspired by uh, first we feast on listening, creating great questions. Sorry, I'm, I'm a these big. These are first really, really, fan. really great questions. <laughs> I, I want to reflect on this for a minute. Um, I mean, this is going to be. I, I hope it's not a cliche answer. Um, I am absolutely petrified, but completely fascinated by what's going on with AI. And it's really, really, really scary. So but we it's are also, presently recording yeah. this in April of 2023 after yes, the weekend of the weekend and Drake AI that, that, yeah, that then yeah. blew yeah. up with songs and the question of if, if UMG, uh, who has, who has fight, who has yeah. done yep. takedowns on all this stuff, but what then are the roads to stand on if you're actually having a new track with someone who is identifying as AI, but representing Drake in the weekend and the Rihanna work and everything. This has been a big weekend for this question. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And that's just in one industry, right? Yeah. So like you, you have to think about every industry and, you know, t today's headline, April 18, 2023 on LinkedIn was um, how chat GPT is analyzing stocks. <laughs> and there right? was one I was reading a couple of days ago about how OpenAI, one of one of their platforms, um, yep. is taking databases of clothing patterns with professional B two B side, so that literally go, I want you know this, 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 and the pattern pops out the other end and can go right to the manufacturing, and you're kind of going, wait, wait, there were people on that entire grade yeah. that scary. were the ones who created patterns and. And, you know, where, where then are all those creative roles? And then what do they, what do they need as to equipment to manifest the next stage of this stuff? But yeah. Yeah. It, it's scary. Um, as a tech geek, I am completely astonished and fascinated by it. And I spend every day on Bard and chat GPT in some way or another. To, to be honest, one amazing application for me has been, um, it's actually been a great learning tool as I'm going through my MBA. If there's something I don't understand fully, you know, it doesn't always get something right. And at the end of the day, you know, I still have to take tests myself and you can't use it for 
exams, et cetera. But when you're, when you're studying and there's a concept you don't understand to be able to plug in, you know, what does X, Y, Z mean on a, on a balance sheet, right? That is pretty amazing to have it spit out right away or look at how you solve for, you know, a correlation coefficient in a statistics course, right? So as a learning tool, it's actually been amazing. Well, if you um, have to do competitive analysis for either a job or a class, you can pre-do the competitor analysis and then yep. ask the question and then you go, well, there's three companies I didn't realize and this confirms everything I already did. Um, totally. I'm working right now with a group of people who are building a VR escape room museum game. Long story. Oh, cool. okay. But half the team is using some elements of generative AI to supplement their work and then bringing that back to the group saying, here's what I got out of generative AI that I've then added in, gameplay, competitive analysis, um, puzzles, whatever the yeah. heck. So, yeah. it, you know, it's interesting thinking about the I was going to say now what's the competitive advantage if all yep. of us can be playing with this stuff? Um and is it playing it, well, or is it replacement, right? Well, okay, so this is something really interesting. Um and, and this comes back to some of the stuff I've worked on in, in my MBA, uh in this like analytics section that I'm in now. And it comes back to, you know, if we all have the same data or same tools the the differentiation is the the human creativity resource and capital to interpret and apply at that I point bet. so yeah yeah totally so it's it it you know there's always going to be a human element it's just where that margin of error is closed is is quickly diminishing <laughs> um and yeah i mean i'm just completely fascinated by it um I'm just blown away and I feel like right now there's definitely major, major tectonic plates shifting in the internet as we've known it for the past 20 years. And new people who will become creators because they will have pieces of that puzzle under the hood, which has been under the hood in tools for quite a while, right? Yeah. Um, I'm assuming there's some machine elements in your 360 RA product. I'm assuming that there's, you know, pieces of the puzzle and a lot of things people haven't seen and won't see under the hood. But I do think it's going to open a whole new series, like in drug discovery, um, yeah. a whole new series of combinations of things we haven't seen yet. We have yeah. talked for a while now. We're at the end of our conversation. Jordi, is there anything we haven't mentioned that you'd want to make sure we put on the table? I think you've covered most of it, to be honest. I you know, I wish we had like another two hours to talk because I've really, really enjoyed this particular conversation. Um, I wish we could do a part two. <laughs> we totally can do a part two. Glad to sign up for a part two. And we'll look yeah. back and say, what was that uh, generative AI thing that back yeah. then? Um, yeah. Or, you know, what's happening? I would love to talk internationally because in many ways you have a nice yes. lens into that and innovation in music uh, by the time this goes live, we'll have launched actually with one of my entities, a whole Spain innovation program. And there's interesting things happening around the world that we tend to talk from a, um, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of Western bias to yeah. what's happening with innovation and music. It'd be great to talk about that because you guys touch all of those elements. So that would be great to follow up on. Yeah. Jordi. Do you need it, people to reach out to for anything? Who would you like to reach out and how can they reach out? 
Um, I, I would say LinkedIn is a great resource, to be honest. Um, so you can type in my name, J-O-R-D-Y-F-R-E-E-D on LinkedIn. I should pop up, hopefully. Uh, we'll put that maybe, in the show notes as well. May, maybe you need ChatGPT to, to send you there. I don't know. Uh, or to remind you <laughs> um, who to talk to. And yeah, then, uh... totally. <laughs> um, but, it, it, you know, if you are fascinated by this space i, I mean what, what i love about it is um kind of multifaceted space i'm in so i always say like entertainment music marketing and, and technology is kind of like the the trilogy for me like the you know the hat trick so if you're interested in any of those spaces want to talk more great uh if you're a potential business partner great if you're a creator great um i'm pretty open so uh, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. <laughs> a lot, a lot <laughs> That's a whole right other now, thing because but... you've got a new baby coming. So yeah. by the time this goes live, it yeah. will have come about in the world. So hopefully, knock on wood. So yes, knock on wood. Everything's good in the world. Though. Yep. Excellent, Jordy. Thanks for joining us, and Thank we will you. do a part two. Yes. Thank you, Gigi. Appreciate it. <laughs>